Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to The Old Men and the Three ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Your last day of vacation and you found time for a deep tissue massage followed by a long mud bath then a two-hour nap. Because you're an American Express Platinum Guard member and booked your stay at a fine hotel and resort through Amex Travel, which means a 4 p.m. checkout. And those relaxing vacation vibes can keep going at the airport in the Centurion Lounge. Just a splash. Before you board the plane back to reality. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your travel experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. You know what gets me through the home stretch of the NBA season? A solid mystery thriller, which is why I highly recommend checking out Audible. Audible lets you enjoy all your audio entertainment in one app. You'll always find the best of what you love or something new to discover. I'm currently listening to The Wager by David Grant. It's a thrilling story of shipwreck, survival, and savagery, culminating in a court-martial that reveals a shocking truth. And good news, as an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog. And new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash JJ or text JJ to 500-500. That's audible.com slash JJ or text JJ to 500-500. Welcome to The Old Man of the Three with JJ Reddick and Tommy Alter, brought to you by 342 Productions. This is episode 151, Tim Legler. Hopefully this becomes more frequent than a yearly visit from Legs because I just so much enjoy having him on the show to talk NBA. He's a fellow sicko, someone who lives and breathes NBA basketball. His knowledge is insurmountable. And while I disagree with some of his takes today, I really enjoy the conversation. 90 minutes, pure uncut basketball talk. <laughs> we, we covered a lot of the NBA. We did, so to be perfectly honest with you, we do not talk about the Charlotte Hornets in this podcast, but we the only thing we don't talk yeah, about, we talk about uh, a number of teams, both conferences, potential playoff matchups, uh, a number of NBA storylines, and we have a real discussion on the MVP race. Uh, Plus, we give lots of love to our guy, Jalen Brunson. Well-deserved on that. We have a lot of content for you in the show, so we're just going to get right to it. Here's our conversation with ESPN analyst, former NBA sharpshooter, and LaSalle legend, Tim Edwin. All right, let's welcome in my colleague at ESPN, Tim Legler. Uh, one of our favorite podcasts that we did last season was with you, and we thought we'd have you on to talk some shop here, man. <laughs> Let's do it, man. Maybe Glad to be actually back. talk about some basketball. Yeah, that'd be fun. That'd be fun. It's, I, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's that time of year. After the break, you can just tell the games, the intensity, right? It's just a completely different feel, what we're watching now. The product is so different as you head down the home stretch, so this is going to be fun. I have called a number of games. Uh, I'm off this weekend, but I've had two a week since the All-Star break, and, and that was a big feeling that I got sitting courtside at these games was the physicality, the intensity. Not that it was like terrible early, early in the season, but a lot of these teams now, uh, especially I've had a bunch of Western, Co- Western Conference games, a lot of these teams in the Western Conference jockeying for position and seating, trying to avoid the play-in, Uh, It's been very intense. Let's start in the Western Conference because when I look at the conference and try to sort through who's for real, uh, who's not for real, I I come up empty. 
times. <laughs> and and D- Denver, I thought was was there, and then over the last seven games, uh, they've just fallen apart defensively again. Uh, some puzzling losses at a at a key time. I don't know if they just turned off after that Memphis win and Toronto win when they, you know, basically I think had a, a six or seven game cushion on second place. They haven't looked good recently, so I'm I'm trying to sort through. From your perspective, who are the real contenders in the West? For me, it's Denver, and then a bunch of what I would describe as dangerous mediocrity. Right, that's really what the West has been. Really, the whole league, except for a few teams, it's been a mediocre year. And you can even look at the records of some of these teams. I mean, you're talking about teams that on paper you think have enough talent to make a run at the whole thing that are basically 500 teams with 10 games left in the season for a variety of reasons. You know, injuries always play a part. There's been obviously personnel changes, big ones, you know, down the stretch here, particularly Dallas and Phoenix and what they did. So you have these teams that I would just describe as incomplete. And then Denver. Denver legitimately deserves to be, I think, as we sit here today, the favorite to come out of the West. They've earned it. And, and I, you know, I really have a lot of respect for their starting five. I think they're well coached. They added depth, which is really important because those other teams still have so much more to show us. Um, for me, the other two teams that I think can become teams that you can expect to be in the finals and wouldn't be shocked by it would be Phoenix and the Clippers. For me, if it's not Denver, it's going to be one of those two teams. And, and that's kind of where I'm at. And then there's obviously some dangerous teams that are in that mix as well. Memphis. I mean, Sacramento's been a great story. I know we're going to dive into them. Dallas, you know, they got Kyrie so late, and those guys haven't really played much together. Who knows what that could ultimately look like, you know, when those guys are both, you know, tuning people up at the same time. Golden State is always going to be lurking. So you have a lot of unknowns, and then you have this one certainty in, in the year that they've had in Denver. And I know they've had a little bit of peaks and valleys here lately, and but to me, they deserve to be on a different level right now than those other teams because they've been together all year. They've got great role definition, and they've had the most complete year. So that's that's kind of how I would shape it up in the West. I, I, I want to just follow that up with one thing. First of all, I, I agree with you everything you just said as it relates to Denver earning that they're in tier one. Fine. They're in tier one. They've yep. earned that uh, despite the last two weeks, but the Clippers and Phoenix are the other two teams that I'm most intri- intrigued by. You said the word mediocrity. I would probably lean more towards parody. And I would also like to talk about the lineup data Yeah, in the Western conference. Because this is really fascinating to me. So we're roughly, recorded this on Monday, we're 70, 72 games into the season. Most teams have 10 to 12 games left. Um, so Sachs starting five has played 55 games together. Uh, the next five-man unit that has played in the most games together in the Western Conference is Sachs lineup with uh, Davion Mitchell. Uh, next is Denver's starters at 36 games, roughly half the season. Denver's uh, starters minus Porter subbing in Bruce Brown, 36. Then you've got a bunch of Portland, Houston, Portland lineups, another Denver lineup that have played 30 games together, and then the Warriors starters at 27 games together. <laughs> you talk about Phoenix. We've seen three games of Kevin Durant. Uh, the Clippers, I think Paul George and Kawhi, not their entire starting lineup, 
think Paul George and Kawhi have played roughly 36 games together. It's hard to mm-hmm. gauge where teams are at because the numbers, the raw numbers, and the night-to-night visuals are so up and down. And I think the numbers, for the most part, there's some offensive numbers in the West that are awesome. Obviously, Sacramento, Denver. The numbers are mediocre. mediocre, And it's, it, I think it's hard to gauge where some of these teams are. It's, we're, we're actually prognosticating <laughs> on, on uh, a what-if. Right. What if the Clippers are fully healthy and they get Kawhi for, you know, 20 to 28 games in a playoff run? Okay. And Paul George is healthy. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, I see that. What if Kevin Durant is healthy? You know, so I think it's really hard this year. I really do. Especially this conference in particular. 23 years in to this job, this is by far the hardest year I've ever experienced in terms of trying to predict these kinds of things. You're, you're talking about trying to tell people what a team's ceiling is. That's really what we're trying to figure out. How do you know that when these guys have missed so much time? And there's been, you know, so much fluctuation in who plays every night. In these games that I break down, you break down, calling games, I watch every night, I have to go in the air and break these games down. Like when guys aren't there, there's only so much you can take from it. I mean, I mean, you might be able to pick up something from some guys, maybe a team added, and maybe it's the first time you're seeing them in person or whatever, and you say, okay, yeah, th- I'm going to talk about this now, the depth that this, you know, Bruce Brown, a guy like that gives Denver, and you go down that angle. But if, like, you're doing a game and Michael Porter Jr.'s not playing, and Jamal Murray's not playing, they're playing the Clippers, and Kawhi's sitting that night, and you're supposed to come up with now an evaluation on how these teams stack up, when you take the, those guys off the floor, it's a completely different product. And that's why – the Western Conference is one of the most fascinating things I've ever seen because of the teams that we are talking about that are just hovering and trying to get themselves right at a time now to go on the road in the first round, mm. play teams like a Denver that hasn't been to the finals, a Memphis that hasn't been to the conference finals, a Kings team that just you know guaranteed you know their first winning season in how long. Yeah. These teams are one, two, and three with very little postseason success collectively, and who you might you get in the first round? The Phoenix Suns with Kevin Durant coming to town, a team that went to the finals a couple years ago, a Golden State Warriors team that's been to six finals and getting guys right at the right time, a Dallas team that just added Kyrie Irving, a Clippers team that's got Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Like, this is what the first round is going to look like in the Western Conference where some of those teams might not even be favored despite the regular seasons that they had at the top. So that's why it's so weird and it's going to be so compelling. And we're going to have an, even the play-in. Look who could be in the play-in in the Western Conference and what you have to do to win two games to get out of that just to make the playoffs because of the teams that we're talking about. So by far the hardest year for me, but maybe one of the most interesting playoffs that we're going to have, particularly in the West. I wanted to ask both of you guys about these teams defensively. Um Last 15 games, uh, defensive rating, Dallas is 25, Sac is 26, Denver's 21, Clippers are 22. Denver hasn't been great all year. Um, here, obviously, Sac hasn't either. Can you really be a sort of, you know, maybe not a championship favorite, but a championship contender if you're not a top 15, top 20 defense? I think you might be able to in this NBA. I think, I think you, know, you know, you can be so good offensively, and some teams gear in on that and hone in on that that it can make up for a lot of those mistakes. Now, ultimately, listen, you're going to be in a spot in a, in a postseason series where it's, you know, it's 2-1, it's game four, it's a one-possession game late. Like, it's a series-defining stretch of minutes. You're going to have to get some stops, you know, in those situations. So there's going to be moments where your defense is going to be paramount. 
And some of these teams, you know, are lacking. I never expected Dallas to be very good defensively. I mean, they weren't in the first place. Then you add Kyrie and you got Kyrie and Luka out there together. That that's going to present some problems defensively. They play really small lineups and they get pounded on the glass, on the offensive glass tonight, which I never expected that. Denver at times can look pretty good, but they've got some guys in their starting lineup that have some limitations defensively that you know, there's only so much you're going to be able to do. The Clippers are a little bit surprising with, with those numbers, and I think ultimately they have the capability to be that good defensively. So I guess the, the short answer is I think you can make, more likely to make a run at a title this year if you're not an elite defensive team because of all the things that we're talking about right now. Yeah, that's valid. I I want to say it was LeBron's 2018 team. That Cleveland team had a, I don't know, 26th or 27th defensive rating. And it was one of the few teams, if not the only team this century, that has made the finals. Not They didn't win, obviously, but made the finals with a defensive rating that low. History would say you need a top five something, top five offense or top yeah. five defense, or you need to be top 10 or around top 10 in both. Um, to your point about winning it this year without a good defense, Tommy asked me a great question about Sacramento. Mm-hmm. And his question was about their offense and the adage that in the playoffs, the game slows down. Will that sort of hinder their offense? And my point to Tommy, and I wanted to get your thoughts just on that question, but also on sort of my perspective, my point to Tommy was it's not just the the pace, meaning like end to end. To me, it's how they play within the half court mm-hmm. because of De'Aaron Fox's ability to break down a defense. They've added all this shooting. Sabonis, so I'm going to get into some post-up numbers that I find fascinating in a little bit. But Sabonis, of course, plays a lot in that high post out of like a hub, five-out delay action. So there's space. And then when they do go to Sabonis, there's movement. There's the dribble handoffs with Murray, with Barnes, with Herter. And so they're creating enough that it's – I don't think it's going to slow down for Mm -hmm. them. I just think the game plan portion going against any great offense when you have – Days in between days, in between days, like you have time to game plan for these amazing offenses. I think that ultimately is what's going to affect winning and losing in the playoffs. If you have a great defense that can game plan for one of these great offenses and you don't have a great defense on the other end, you're in trouble. It is a great point, particularly about Sacramento. We know that they lead the league in scoring. It's been by far, I think, from a team perspective, the best story in the league. You know, going into the year, you looked at their roster, no one's expecting this. I mean, they, they legitimately have a great shot at being the second seed in the Western Conference with a, in a conference loaded with top-tier star individual talent. They could be the second seed. So this has been an incredible story, their, their pace and the way that they play. And I love your point about it because I talk with people about this all the time. You hear pace and you automatically think transition, fast break stuff. Truth is, pace really is about how quickly you get into ball and player movement within your sets and how hard you make those cuts early and the ball gets hopping. Because then you might end up taking a shot with six seconds left on the shot clock, but what you did to lead up to that to get a quality shot and the pace with which you move plays into that too, and they're great at that. One of the things they've benefited from, and you alluded to it a little while ago with the numbers you talked about, these lineups, their top six scorers 
have missed a total of 17 games all season. And that just that's just not what we're talking about when you look at every other team in the in the top half of the playoffs in either conference. So they've taken advantage of that. So one of the big things is have your guys available every night. They have. Obviously, De'Aaron Fox has had a great year. Sabonis so is in a very short list. I think there's three guys that fall into this category. Most impactful player in their first full year with a team this year. I think it's him, Donovan Mitchell, and Jalen Brunson. Like those three guys make up the list, and you can't really put anybody else even in that category to discuss it. That's the impact I think. And he played 15 games from last year. That's why I said first full year, because you know he just played at the end of the year. Um, that's the impact he's had. They're a fascinating team. You're going to be able to now get into them when you focus on one team day to day, like you said, you make those adjustments and you start to take some things away and no playoff experience collectively and who they might get. I mean, what's their reward going to be for this season they've had? Who knows who that could be in the first round? Well, here's a really, uh, I know we were going to discuss some potential playoff matchups. Um, and some of these are maybe pipe dreams because of the way the plan is going to work. And some of these, depending on how the last 10 games shake out, we may be talking about something else entirely in three weeks. But, um, you know, as of right now, there's a decent chance that it's Golden State mm -hmm. if they end up as the two seed. Right. And Golden State is terrible on the road. And the reason they're terrible is because they can't defend the three point line. And so you're going into Sacramento into a place that hasn't had a playoff game in 17 years with a rabid fan base and all the sort of good vibes and energy and momentum. And you've got to figure out a way to cut that water off. That's going to be tough. Yeah. That's going to be tough. Look, we could go down the list. Oh, if they end up in the, you know, the four spot and they play the Clipper. Right. Then we're talking about something different. Right. Or Phoenix. Yeah, or Phoenix, right. So um, the, the, the big unknown to me in the entire Western Conference, though, is, is Kevin Durant's health. Mm -hmm. Because I just think he's that good. Yeah. I really do, and I think he's that impactful. And I think he's – this is important. I really believe this. And I've had conversations with people in the NBA about this. Kevin Durant's one of the greatest players ever. He's also the greatest plug-and-play guy, if you know what I mean <laughs> yeah, by of that. Course. He, he doesn't require a whole lot of meshing and chemistry and play-calling even for him. Like, put Kevin Durant on a basketball court, he's going to give you an efficient 28-30 to 30 every single night with good defense, 5-8 to eight rebounds, 5-8 assists. Like, that's what he's done his whole career, regardless of who's been on the court, regardless of the fit on the court. And so that gives me, I don't know what the word's hope, but that gives me a lot of optimism about the Phoenix Suns' chances to make a deep title, you know, a deep run if he is healthy. We are 100% in sync there. I think there is, he stands alone as a guy that would require the least amount of time to acclimate with new environment and make it look seamless because of what you just said. He gets it easy. He gets it efficient. He doesn't care about, you know, you take as many shots as you want, Devin Booker, Chris, that's fine. I'll go eight straight trips and not shoot it. I'm cool with that. I'm, he's not like some, you know, uh, top-tier wide receiver that's demanding the ball and, like, having tantrums if he doesn't get it. He, he's just like, no, it's fine because I know I'm going to get my 30 
shoot over 50% doing it, no yeah. sweat, and I'll have it when it matters most, which is, you know, what he, what he really wants. So I completely agree. He doesn't need a lot of time. He needs some, and most importantly, he just needs to be 100%. Like, if he's, if he's Kevin Durant that we've known throughout his career, and you give him a handful of games, and then a first-round series that could, could be challenging, but it's not like I don't think they're going to get a team right off the bat that could take them out. Now there's another five, six, seven games that Kevin Durant is is warming up, and assuming they escape it, now let's say he's got 12 games, 15 games under his belt, heading into the second round of the Western Conference playoffs. That's he's going to be pretty much up to speed by then, and that's why you know I don't know how you feel about if you had to bet on it today. I know it's uncertain because of him. Let's assume he is healthy with five games left in the regular season or less. Maybe you think he needs less than that. Do you? Would you put them as the team you'd expect to win the Western Conference? I don't know what to expect this season. Yeah, yeah. that might be too strong a word. Expect maybe is not the word. You wouldn't be shocked. I, I would be they... very comfortable okay, saying there you go. Uh, with a healthy Kevin Durant for the next yeah two and a half months. Yeah, I'm good saying Phoenix should be the favorite in the West. Nothing has changed since the trade for me yeah. in that regard. What changed was, oh shit, he had a really bad ankle sprain. Right. Uh, you know, and, and now all of a sudden we're starting to... Maybe are we overanalyzing? You know, are we? Maybe it's Denver. Maybe it's Sacramento. Can Sacramento actually make the finals this year? You know, it's it's kind of thrown everything off because those first three games, you're like, holy shit, yeah, holy shit. Well, that's Devin the thing. Booker's getting whatever he wants on the second side. Yeah, you know, he's Devin Booker's attacking closeouts. Obviously, Devin Booker's playing with the ball in ISO too. It's not just that. It's not like nobody's guarding Devin Booker. But it's like, all right, the thing we thought, which was that. Kevin being on the basketball floor is going to make it easier for yeah. Devin Booker. That happened. The thing we thought, Kevin Durant is going to step into this lineup and score efficiently. Uh, we saw that. I mean, that that four-man unit for that team, do you know what their net rating was in those three games? Obviously, small sample. It was close to 70 minutes played together. No. 34. Wow. Net rating per 100 for for Aiton, Paul, yeah, Booker, and Durant when they were on the floor together. Okay. That's, that's gives yeah. me, that gives me optimism for sure. It's funny because I may have overstated it, you know, because he's so good. And this is how I felt after watching him like the first two games with them. He's so good that maybe it's not a handful of games. Maybe I only need to see him for a half, like when he comes back and be like, all right, that's a wrap. I remember when Clay came back from that long absence, right? And he had that dunk. I think it was against Chicago. And he landed with full flexion, you know, on, on that on that Achilles. And, and he, he was fine. And I was like, it's a wrap. It's a wrap. That's all he needed to see. Is he going to make it? And he, obviously, he was very inconsistent with his shooting, as you would be after that amount of time off. But he was going to be good enough in certain moments to help them win a title, and they did it. So, like, it was some guys and some teams, like this certain piece, like for Milwaukee, instant, for instance, for me, that's Middleton. Like, Middleton hits his stride and starts being that 50% shooter most nights, knocking down big mid-range jumpers and, like, having that answer in a half court. That might be enough that all I need to see to think the Bucs can, can win the Eastern Conference. It's the same thing with Durant. Just let me see a couple of games because he's so good and you go, okay. The one thing I was concerned about with them that I've kind of got an answer on. I was I was worried when Mikhail Bridges, they take that out because Bridges was the guy that was picking up the elite level ball handlers and protecting you know Chris Paul and, and Booker to a certain extent because he's so long and he just took on that burden. So when, when he left, even though you're adding Durant, so well, who's going to be that guy? And you know, Kogi can do it. Absolutely. Tory Craig does a pretty good job with it. So, 
they've got enough there in addition to having three of the greatest mid-range players of their generation. I mean, when you throw in Booker, Durant, and Chris Paul, who, when he starts hitting that 15-foot lean back, you know, off the snake dribble on the ball screen, to me, that's the answer, like, in big moments, because you're not always going to get an open three, and that three can be fickle. You're not always going to get to the line or score in the paint. But, man, that 15- to 18-foot jumper is almost always available to a great player, and they have three guys that can do that. With Chris now picking his spots when to score, it's the greatest thing to preserve him is adding a guy like Durant. So now Chris Paul doesn't have to have a 25- or 30-point game for them to survive. He can pick his spots. He might have some of those in the postseason, but not because you know that's how he has to go into the game thinking like he did in Houston, like he did in, in Phoenix. He doesn't have to do that anymore. And that, to me, is the biggest component why I love this for Phoenix because I think Chris Paul can preserve himself longer because we know he's had some issues staying healthy all the way through the postseason. With the with the way that you just mentioned the mid-range, or the way that Phoenix operates in the mid-range, assuming Kevin's healthy, doesn't it feel like Denver in particular defensively, that's a tough matchup for them with the way they play defense? Oh, no question, because Jokic struggles on ball screen and Michael Porter Jr. struggles on ball screen. Now, he's come a long way since the early days. Like down in the bubble, I actually felt sorry for him when he was trying to defend pick and roll and the way teams were going at him. And it actually hurt his confidence on the other end, which it will a young player. You know, when you're going to attack to that extent and embarrassed in a lot of ways, you're not yourself offensively. He's come a long way from that, but he's still a guy that struggles with certain things. So when you're talking about three guys like that that can operate off ball screen, get to that area of the floor, and particularly you know with Durant because of his length, yes, that is a problem for Denver in that, that particular matchup. It's going to be a problem for anybody to place Phoenix. It was 2021. They played in the second round, if that's right. Yes. And Chris had a big series. Yep. Yeah, um, the Suns in four. And so, but this is where, and I've, uh, I've, I've mentioned this, but I think it's worth reiterating. Dallas last year, they did a number of things really well in that series. Um, they refused to let Chris Paul get to his right hand, yep. even if it meant completely opening, opening up a driving lane. So they would switch, he would get to his dribble game and they would just say, take, take the left hand. Like we're not going to allow you to make plays going to your right hand. Um, which the Pelicans tried to do as well, and there were a number of times in that series where he actually scored going left. Wasn't as effective in that Dallas series, especially late in that series. The other thing they did was they blitzed Devin Booker. And uh, early in the season when uh, Booker was healthy before the adductor injury, he was like the second most blitz player in the league. Luka, of course, was number one. You can't really do that no. with Kevin Durant on the on the court. And so... Then this becomes where I, I I really have a hard time saying like a, a heavy mid-range shot profile, as good as you are, you're going to run into some math problems at some point. But because you can't really blitz them, mm -hmm. I, I think if the, as long as those guys, their efficiencies are relative to what they are, offensively, they're going to be just fine. Yeah, you're 100% right. It's a, you know, when you used to blitz Booker, the ball would come out of there and it was ending up in the hands of a, of a Jay Crowder, a, a Mikael Bridges, a Cam Johnson. Guys that weren't, they could certainly make an open three with their feet set. They weren't going to do much off the dribble other than that to create that second level attack on the weak side. 
You want to blitz Devin Booker and have the ball come out and get around to the opposite side of the floor in Kevin Durant's hands against a closeout defender? Good luck. I mean, he's going to do whatever he wants and vice versa. If you want to blitz Durant to that extent, it's going to make Booker's life that much easier. He has looked so comfortable, Booker, right? In the short time that he played with Durant, like that's what you know. I kind of wanted to see because you know you're bringing in a guy of that level. How's that going to affect your game as a high volume shot hunter? And it actually looked like he was having more fun than he's ever had having that kind of presence on this floor at the same time on the opposite side. So now it's just a waiting game. Right? When's he going to play? How's he going to look? And you know how quickly can they get cohesive enough? To I think you know survive that first round because after that, um, they they could really you know take off and look like a team that you know is going to have just too much to deal with 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 those two guys. And before we move on from this, I, Booker has played well since Kevin Durant uh, was hurt. I actually did their game Monday a week ago in uh, Golden State, and it was really interesting because in Golden State, I, I RJ had called a game where they did this to Anthony Edwards. Golden State played a box and one for a, a lot of the game because Booker got it going early. So they played a box and one on Devin Booker. And when it was almost always when Chris Paul was off the floor. And again, it goes back to that, whether it's a box and one or whether you're blitz, whatever it may be with Kevin Durant, you can't really do that, yeah. you know, and, and, and vice versa. Like how much do you, are you willing to blitz Kevin Durant if he's on the floor with Devin Booker and another 40% three point shooter and Chris Paul and Deandre Ayton? There's one thing I will say, and I said this on the air after maybe the second game they played together. I can't remember who the opponent was, but DeAndre Ayton is is a critical component in this. And that particular night, he started off the game with like three touches inside of eight feet and converted all of them. All the guy does is shoot like 75% inside of 10 feet. He finishes literally everything. And he didn't take another shot until like middle of the third quarter. And he took six shots on the night. And I remember saying after the game, like they still looked good and and you know, they 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 got to certain numbers and and everybody looked like they were playing well together. I'm saying this guy has to be utilized to an extent to make you pay for how bad you're gonna have to extend against these guys. Because you're gonna have to have so many defenders out of the perimeter for all these ball screens they're gonna be getting with the how dangerous those three perimeter players are. It, it, it's not like you got to steadily feed him in the post, but all those pick and dives and all that space in the lane. Short roll. Give him the ball yeah. and, and and keep it steady. Three, four of those touches, like a quarter, when he's on the floor, they're going to be unstoppable offensively. So that was the one thing that night. You know, I, I made that comment after because they ended up going down to the wire. It might have been Dallas. They went down to the to the wire, and he was just a non-factor beyond, besides the beginning of the game. And I'm like, this guy is screening, diving. He's getting every defensive rebound. He's protecting the rim. And you, you got to make sure he touches it, not only for him, but for what it does now to defense is to make those decisions. Because if you're just getting gutted in the paint with these short little jump hooks and rolls that he finishes on, it's very demoralizing. And eventually you make the adjustment, and now you're going to get beat up on the perimeter. So that is the one caveat with them. Um, and I'm not telling Monty Williams what to do. He knows well what to do without my advice, but – that's one thing to look at. Is DeAndre Ayton included and involved? Because now you've got incredible balance throughout your, you know, your scoring attack. I put a lot of numbers into my brain, so I, I don't. I wish I knew the decimal places. I wish I had the exact <laughs> number, but I do know. Again, small sample size, three games. Uh, in games played without Kevin Durant, uh, touches in the half court, 
Aiton was in the high 20s average per game, uh, call it 29. Uh, in the three games with Kevin Durant, touches in the half court, he was in the mid-teens. So that's, I, I felt the same way, you know, watching those games. It was like, yeah, he's not really even getting the ball. Yeah. Um, and some of that was, Kevin was playing great. Right. Devin was, I get that, but there is something about uh, big guys uh, being engaged on the other end. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta feed them a little bit to Definitely. get them going. The biggest tournament in college basketball is underway, and the action is just getting started on DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps. Right now, new customers can bet just $5 on any pregame Moneyline bet and score $150 in bonus bets if your team wins. Plus, combine multiple bets for a shot at an even bigger payout. DraftKings will be featuring parlays and odds boosts all tournament long, so be sure to check the DraftKings Sportsbook app every day to see what they have in store. I was really impressed this weekend with Arkansas, who beat Kansas, and they've got a big Sweet 16 matchup against UConn that I will be paying attention to. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and sign up with code JJ. Right now, new customers can bet $5 on any pregame Moneyline bet and get $150 in bonus bets if your team wins. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code JJ. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. I can't remember a time that buying tickets was not stressful, but buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. With killer deals on last minute tickets and their best price guarantee, you can stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for the fun you'll have. They have amazing flash deals and last minute tickets. I know I've got a particular game in mind. It's the last game of the regular season. Philly comes up here to Brooklyn. I will be paying close attention to that game and ticket prices. Game time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, Game Time will credit you 110% of the difference. It's the fastest growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. Plus, get images of your seat before you buy so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. Buy tickets in a matter of seconds, two taps, and you're set. Tickets are sent directly to your phone, so you never have to dig through your email. Snag the tickets without the stress with GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code OLDMAN for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code OLDMAN for $20 off. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. Let's talk about the Boston Celtics because it felt like for the first 48 games of the season, they were the best team in the NBA. And it wasn't particularly close. They just mm -hmm. looked like the best team. Night to night, consistently, both ends. Um, their last 25 games, they're 14 and 11. All of a sudden, the Bucks are playing great. The Knicks are playing great. The 76ers are playing great. And we knew the Bucks would be there, but it feels right. Any Cleveland, if I didn't say them, it feels right now like the top five teams in the Eastern Conference can all make a run. We'll get to Cleveland and New York about whether they're real contenders or not. But what is, from your perspective, what do you think's going on with the Boston Celtics and their struggles? Uh, a couple of things. So I think, and 
for me, a lot of times it's eyeball tests when I watch them play, but sometimes numbers are really indicative of this. In the beginning of the year, they were like a record-setting offense. They had a 28% assist rate, which is really, really high, and it was by far the highest in the league. Over the last, since, since they lost to Golden State in like mid-December, I think that rate's dropped to 18%. So right off the bat, what does that tell you? You know, you could say, hey, well, look, you know, certain guys had shooting slumps and they're not, you know, not playing at the same level. No, it's really about style of play. Because when they're really, really good, they're not just moving the ball around the perimeter, hunting three-point shots. Now, 47% of their field goal attempts are threes. It sounds outrageous, but there's other teams kind of in that mix. That's kind of, the, you know, the way the league is now. Golden State's right in that same category. Milwaukee's a shade below that. Those are the three highest. But the way that they get them is not always the same. So they're going to take the same number every night. They're going to get to 40-plus pretty much every night. The nights they're really good, the, the, the ball has gotten downhill into the paint and then kicked out, and now you get teams chasing, and now the ball moves, or there's a second attack on the first kickout attacking that closeout defender, and now you really get defenses scrambling. So that inside out and then kind of around the horn type of play, that when they're at their best, and that's what they were doing at the beginning of the year, every night, they were mesmerizing us. You're like, man, they're clowning people with the way they're playing offensively. Now you watch, and it's a little bit more dribble heavy with Tatum and Brown a lot of nights. Look, Jason Tatum hasn't been as good as he was earlier in the year, you know, just shooting percentage wise and whatnot. He just hasn't been as good as he was. Maybe that's just whatever, a little bit of fatigue. You know, it's been a long, draining year. He's going to pick it up with the adrenaline of the playoffs and he'll be right back where he was. Marcus Smart. Not being out there to make some of those decisions. Like he's always been a, I couldn't believe this, by the way. I looked this up. I, I didn't know what, you know, Marcus Smart's career field goal percentages? Like for a guy that impacts winning as much as he does to have this field goal percentage for a guard, what do you think it is for his career? That's it's round right at 40. 38. 38. 38% for a guy that good and impactful in winning. So it's never been like he's going to make a yeah. ton of shots or be efficient, but. He still he was hurt, hasn't been himself. Robert Williams obviously hasn't played a ton this year. He's out again. So they're not Grant Williams hasn't been as good. But for me, if I'd said this is the, the number one reason, offensively, stylistically, they haven't been doing the same things they did those first you know 40 games when it looked like they were in a complete league by themselves. They've come back to earth a little bit, and I think it's something that they need to pay attention to in film and get back to that style and, uh, and, and remind everybody like how good they can be because there's no doubt Milwaukee, Philly now are looking them in the eye or in some people's minds maybe surpass them as the favorite to win the East, and I don't think that was the case early. You think, yeah. that's a, you think that was a, a league-wide adjustment with them just in terms of stopping them from getting, in, getting to the rim easily? Definitely. I mean, I've said for a while the two conferences are interesting to me because I think the West is going to be decided from, you know, inside 20 feet, meaning Jokic, Kawhi, Kevin Durant, Booker. The East is going to be decided from the three-point line because when Milwaukee and, and Boston, as great as Giannis is and Tatum, when those teams are playing their best, they will just bomb you out of the building from the three-point line. And that's what Boston was doing to everybody. So, yes, definitely, you know, adjustments as you see them another time and you get, a, you know, more of a body of work in. But um, they're, they're still capable of doing it because of how great Tatum and Brown can be. And they've got two other guards in White and Brogdon that can, can get anywhere on the floor and, and, you know, beat you off the dribble and create, the, you know, that situation where you get to kick out. So I think it's still there. 
but they've got to find that again. Um, and, and for me, you know, that's going to be one of the big things I'm looking here down the stretch and in the early part of the playoffs. Can they get to that dominance offensively that they showed early in the year? Um, so here's what's interesting. First of all, don't don't disagree with anything you just said because my I, I caught a couple of their games, but Boston's one of the teams just because of the way we have to cover the NBA. I probably watch ninety percent of their games, yeah. and then I you know I'll dabble in stuff on Second Spectrum, so I watch them a lot. And like for me, I test wise, I was like, oh man, they're just not creating open looks for each other, right? The ball's sticking, and I really do feel that. I feel like the yeah. ball sticks, especially late in games. So in that 25-game stretch um, where they're 14-11, they're, they're number one in the league in three-pointers made per game. They're number one in the league in three-pointers attempted per game. And they're tied for fifth with Milwaukee in three-point percentage. Um, I, I don't want to oversimplify this. To me, a little bit of it, so they're 0-2, by the way, in, the, in those 25 games without Tatum. And they're just 8-7 and seven in clutch. To me, there's two things. I think the broader thing is that the other teams in the Eastern Conference have just played better? Mm-hmm. Um, Milwaukee's twenty-two and three in that stretch. Philly's eighteen and six. New York seventeen and eight. Cleveland sixteen and nine. All of their ratings, if you will, they're just they're just better. Um, Philly and New York's defense is not, but their offenses have been better. Um, their net all all four teams' net ratings are better. All those teams have been much better in clutch games than Boston. So you're talking about a, a a third of the season, basically. Four teams in the East have just played better than Boston. Yeah. Um, so I think some of it is that. Broad picture, Boston's still the only team, top five offense, top five defense for the entire season. To me, I, a big part of this has been Tatum's struggles. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has struggled to shoot the basketball. Yeah. And it, this is not like me knocking Tatum. But in this stretch, so he's played in 23 of these games, having 28 a game, almost 10 rebounds, five and a half assists, playing good basketball. Yeah, right. 33% uh, from three in that stretch. And he's taken and how many a night? Like he's because he takes he a lot. Takes over nine a night. Right. That's and so big. It's, that's big. Yeah. Then the other thing, which is, again, I, I couldn't believe this when I saw it last week, when I was, or two weeks ago when I was calling their game. And um, I got the updated numbers today. So he's a 36% shooter on pull-up jumpers for his career. 36%. Uh, for the season, he's shooting 24.8% on pull-up jumpers. That's worse than the NBA for anybody who's taken over 100 attempts. And in this stretch, he's shooting 14.3% on pull-up jumpers. And so when you get down to the end of games in clutch time, They've had thirteen clutch, uh, thirteen clutch games that he's played in. Sorry, he's missed two of those. They, they, you know, they're eight and seven, but he's played in thirteen clutch games. Dude's shooting twenty five percent from the field in clutch in clutch time, eighteen percent from three in clutch time. We've seen Jason Tatum perform at a superstar level for most of last season, most of this season. Yeah. To me, some of this is just he hasn't been mm-hmm. able to make jumpers, especially when they matter. Yeah. And I don't know. I don't. I'd hate oversimplifying things, but some of it is just that. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, you go around the country, I'll go around the country and I'll do different talk radio in some of these cities, right. Talking about their teams. Yeah. And they, they want such, you know, 
great explanations for what's going on with the team. And sometimes, JJ, it is what you just said. Like a certain player has to play better, particularly when you you know they're that ball dominant and they're that important to what you're doing offensively. Because it's not like all of a sudden on those nights, it's that easy for like the next tier guy on the roster to just go do it and pick it up. Now, one of the reasons I've liked Boston and Milwaukee more than Philly all year is because they do have, I think, more of those guys on their team that can have huge impacts on a given night, not just role player type stuff. Talking about guys that can be, for an eight-minute stretch, like the best player for their team in that moment. And, and I don't think Philly has a lot of that beyond those top three guys. Boston-Milwaukee got them sprinkled throughout their roster, but it still doesn't mean that they can go do that every night if Tatum is struggling. Now, I was listening to some talk radio the other day in Boston, and they were going over this topic of what's going on with the Celtics with their own panic mode up there. And they were saying, you know, Tatum some nights during this stretch has really struggled, even in the fourth quarter, like to the point where he hasn't had a made field goal coming into the last minute of the game. Jalen Brown's been really, really good and they still run everything through Tatum, like when it matters. And I get, like, you know, you've certain status in this league, and that's kind of comes with the territory. Jalen Brown's averaging 27 points a game. So th- there may be some times when that's maybe a pretty good option, and they don't really get there. And when he's struggling, that's going to be difficult to overcome. Now, the question is going to be, can he find that again, that elite-level rhythm? Where now history would say yes. Yes, absolutely. Now he has he's got to me, he's got one big bell to ring. Okay. As great as he was last year, as great as he's been this year in the regular season, as great as he was in the playoffs last year, he did not play up to that standard in the finals. He got outplayed by Golden State's best player. And for them to win it, he's gonna have to be, I think, the best player in that particular moment, whether that's gonna be against Denver. You know, if that's in Milwaukee in the conference finals, Denver, the Clippers, Phoenix. Philly in the second round, who, potentially. Right? One of those He's teams. Be, yeah. Yep. And so that for me is still the one thing out there for him. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say he can't do it. I'm gonna give him the benefit of the doubt. It was the first time in the finals for him. He didn't play as well as he knows he's capable. He's struggling right now by his standards. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt that he's going to find this again here down the stretch and in the early part of the playoffs, and that's going to give Boston a real opportunity to get back. Did you work in studio the day after the Knicks game, that Sunday um, game we did that went into— Oh, yeah, no, that great that great game. No, overtime. I did not. You didn't, okay. The reason I bring this up was end of game. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was—I think it was the end of regulation. They had time to get into a set. Um, they were trying to run their, you know, their their guards, their V out, V two horns action or whatever. Tatum was supposed to catch it the right wing. Jalen gave it to him with like three seconds to go, like not, and he just spun and like yeah. ended up passing to Horford, who missed. He made a good play. Horford missed a, a corner three. It was like that was a weird execution. Yeah. Then they try in overtime to get into the set, and they're trying to bring Grant Williams up because they wanted Grant Williams defender in the action. And Grant Williams is confused. Yeah. They have to burn a timeout. Yeah, they, they, like, remember, they were yelling at him going yeah, through the huddle. Yeah. Like 10 seconds of time. Right. And, and like those things, those things to me are confusing. Um, Cleveland is the other team that has really struggled in clutch games this mm-hmm. year. But it, 
it, it's weird because for much of the year, Boston has been one of the best clutch teams in the NBA. But over this stretch, it it's oddly just come down to like some execution what, things. Yep. What, wasn't this an issue with Boston in the playoffs last year, though, with the turnovers at the end of games? Yeah, well, turnovers turnover, in general. Turn, yeah. Turnovers yeah. in general were a real problem for them a year ago. I think some other things they struggle with, they are, I think, are probably the most prevalent two-for-one type team in the league. They're constantly hunting down the two-for-ones, and they don't get great shots on the first attempt. Um, I think they're, the, the quantity is there, and the quality isn't a lot of times with them, and that, that plays into sometimes closing out quarters and things like that that have gone against them. They've blown leads. They've had big leads. They've had double-digit leads in a number of these losses. And for a team that good to get you down big – that early in the first half or even in the third quarter, they've blown double-digit leads and lost the game. It's, it's kind of strange that they would do that, and it seems like the kind of thing that can be cleaned up through just watching yourselves, right, in the film room and looking at the way you're executing, clean it up. Like, I'm not they're, – they're, they're not playing great right now. There's no question about it. And some of these other teams J.J. mentioned are absolutely rolling. Like, Philadelphia – Philadelphia right now, man, they have found their rhythm with uh, with Embiid and Harden uh, to the greater greatest extent they've had since he got there. Milwaukee obviously getting guys back. It's going to be a tough road for Boston, and it's not what we thought it was going to be. If you asked us all this question like December 15th, it looked like Boston, right? It was their year. Like they're going back to the final, probably win the whole thing if you asked me at that time. It's not going to be an easy path now. And by the way, during that time period too, there were still question marks about Middleton. And I, right. I, I want to talk about the Bucks in a second. I want to get to a different team first. Uh, I, I just kind of want to. I want to be clear on this with with this summarization. To me, you brought you brought up a, a the first point, and that was when they're at their best, ball movement, player movement. When they're at their worst, the ball sticks. Yeah. A lot of time, Tommy, that is what leads to turnovers. Is when that ball is sticking. They're try trying to drive into a crowd or make passes out of a crowd in isolation, like. Some of that is 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 all true. And then the clutch time, right? At the end of games, it naturally does slow down. So you're talking about when a team is at their best. We're not talking about the Dallas Mavericks. Right. Who are at their best in isolation. Right. Sl- playing a slow pace. Like we're t- It slows down at the end of games. That's just a natural thing that happens in basketball. The last two minutes of a game, it slows down. So being able to get into those sets quicker, being able to initiate movement quicker, Ball's still going to end up in the right player's hands sure. to make the right plays and make the right decisions, and then and then I do think that there will be the regression in the, in the positive way towards the mean for Tatum in terms of his shooting off the dribble. Yes. Um, where do you sort of view Cleveland in all of this? Huh. They've been hard for me to figure out. Like ultimately, you know, are they running with the big boys in the Eastern Conference? I mean, there are some nights you watch them and you say. Man, with their length and their defensive ability in the half court, and they've got three pretty high-level offensive guards, right, with Garland, Mitchell, and Levert. But I don't know. There's something for me when I watch them that doesn't put them in that same category as Milwaukee, Boston, probably Philly now. If you asked me that question about Philly probably six weeks ago, I had a lot of doubts about Philly. I still still have doubts, and it's always going to get back to the same thing. I don't know if I if, if if James Harden is going to be this guy when they have to have it in a big moment in one of those series, and and he's got to answer that. He's been unbelievable, and I'll give him all the credit in the world for the way he's playing right now. I love Tim, this Tim version a, of him. Tim is a Harden hater. Man, it's <laughs> you're such a hater. Well, it's just you know I I just 
it's gotten to the point when we get to those moments that I'm talking about, right? Series defining moments. I tend to have an expectation that it's not going to go great for him. And that means they can't win because he's got the ball too much. And when he changes his aggressiveness in those moments, like he did last year against Miami, you know, you got to have it like this night. I mean, they lose the first two games and they go home, they win two. He's incredible in game four. So now let's go back on the road for game five. It's two, two and like take one shot in the first quarter. And, and everybody's kind of like, well, wait, wait a second. What's going on here? Like, where is the guy that we just saw in Philly that was downhill from the opening tip? So that's kind of why I have, I'm skeptical. But I'm going to give him all the credit in the world for the way he's playing right now. This is the version of James Harden I love watching. Let's see. But for Cleveland, I just, for me, I don't put them in that category with those three teams. Is, is, do you think Mobley is a three-point shot away from being a all-NBA type player? Yeah, probably because, yeah, because he's, he's, you know, elite level defensively. He's a great mid-range player. Um, affects the game in a lot of ways. You know, that's the thing. Can he add that to that extent that he's a legitimate threat from out there? And, and what that would do to their offense if you could? Yeah, that's probably a fair point. If he could add some of that. And even add just a, maybe a little bit more of something off the dribble, like escapability as a perimeter player when, when you know, he's attacking a closeout guy. But more importantly, probably, yeah, for now, the three-point shooting, becoming consistent with that, yeah, that would, that would probably be the next step for him. I feel like early early last season, there was uh, some KG, like a young KG comparison. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know some people threw out like a young Chris Bosh comparison. I love the Bosh one. Yeah. Um, for, for me, for now, it's probably more Bosh. Yeah. Garnett would be more of like that if he really gets there. <laughs> right. You know? Um, but I mean, truthfully, like him adding a three-point shot, probably turns him into some approximation of the Miami Heat Chris Bosh, right? Yeah. Um the interesting thing is both those guys, Bosch and Garnett, uh, were excellent playing in the post. Yeah. And Mobley's uh post and isolation numbers are not good right now, which again, not a high volume. It's not part it's not really part of his game, but when he has those opportunities, like the numbers aren't good. To your point about uh your question to his point, he opens up a three-point shot where now he's forcing closeouts with his size and length and yeah. ball skills. He becomes a different player. Yeah, agreed. He probably doesn't even, with Mitchell and Garland and the way they play and can spread the floor, assuming they ever add a fifth starter that can actually shoot threes at a, at a decent clip, it, it, he doesn't maybe ever have to add an ISO game or uh, a post-up game. He right, doesn't. Right. Uh, I think the three-point shot does it. They've been number one in net for pretty much the entire season. Top 10 uh, offense, uh, a top two or three defense all season. Struggled in the clutch. Both Garland and Mitchell have been fine, not great. Fine. There's nothing like, they're, they're not yeah. like Tatum numbers in the right. clutch over the last you know 13 games that he's had. But to me, it just comes down to like the missing piece. And in some ways, it's 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 the way... Josh Hart has fit in with the Knicks, right? It's they haven't yet found that other guy that perfectly complements the four core guys. And until they do, I have a, I have a hard time in a playoff series where you're again going to game plan and you're game planning for Donovan Mitchell or Darius Garland, and you're like, all right, we're gonna basically leave this guy. Yeah. Right. 
Yep. We're going to make this guy beat us. I, I don't know that that's a winning formula. I, I yeah, don't. I agree. And that's one of the reasons I think when I, when I look at a team like Boston, you brought up Josh Hart with the Knicks. It's a good one. Derek White, for me, is that for the Celtics. Right, just a, great a total one. difference maker and a guy that would be considered like, you know, based on the tier that you have on every roster, a role player that's not a role player that could play that well for that many minutes and be that good with the ball and, you know, make clutch shots and great decisions. He He's a tipping point for them. Cleveland maybe lacks that, like that other guy. Like, because Donovan Mitchell, in Utah, the way that they would try to finish games, especially in the playoffs, it was all on him. And that didn't necessarily lead to great decisions all the time. Maybe he'd take a quick pull-up 28-footer off a ball screen. That was that was a you know a bailout shot for the defense because he's so dynamic in other ways. You know, maybe it was gonna be a turnover coming off a ball screen and trying to throw that like cross-court pass to the opposite corner, but it's not like you know, that's not like Luca or LeBron or like one of those guys making that play. And he's trying to make the right play, but just it's not really in his wheelhouse. I like him better here because he's got other guys to share the ball handling responsibilities, like Garland, you know, in particular. But it's still going to be in his hands most of the time in those situations. And if 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 on a night when he's maybe not playing great offensively, are they going to have that X factor guy that we're talking about right now? Are they going to have that guy? You know, Milwaukee's even got guys like that, and maybe not necessarily at the guard spot. Like a Bobby Portis is a guy like that. Like on a night when, hey, maybe Middleton's not playing great. Maybe Drew is is struggling. You know Giannis is always going to do his thing numbers-wise. Bobby Portis can come in and give you like a 12.6 rebound quarter when you have to have it. And I don't know that Cleveland or Philly or the Knicks like have enough of that if their best players aren't playing well on a particular night. And that's why why I've I've put Boston and Milwaukee in a a different place. And I – I think Philly's probably there. They deserve to be there. Look, if they're not in that room, they got their nose pressed up against the window. Okay, they're look <laughs> they're looking in there. They're very interested in what's going on in that room, um, you know. And then I put Cleveland and New York would be like they're they're at the door. They're talking to the doorman trying to get in. Um, but there's two teams for me right now still that are just a slight notch above, and I don't want to disrespect Philly because the more I watch them, the more convincing they are. Let's see what happens when the playoff pressure kicks in. Because Philly's a tough place, man. When and you know this well as anybody, the, the air in the building yeah. can become difficult if you find yourselves in those moments, man. You know, early in series or big, big moments in series, that can be tough. And that's something that Maxi and Harden and Embiid are going to have to navigate. And Doc too, they're all going to have to navigate that because it's uh, it's almost like they're expecting something to go wrong in Philly a lot of times. And when the Phillies lost in the World Series and the Eagles in the Super Bowl, okay, so now all eyes are on the Philadelphia 76ers and there's going to be a lot of focus and attention on this team. Right now it looks great. Let's see what happens when the playoff pressure kicks in. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. That sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I've ranted about this before, but I mean it. I miss the days when coaches wore suits to games. Like Pat Riley. He just knew how to dress. 
And you can too, thanks to Indochino. Indochino makes fully customized suits that don't require a trip to the tailor to get that perfect fit. Measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom. Wear your new look right out of the box and stay out of your budget's red zone with custom suits starting at just $3.99. I'm calling finals games now. and My plan is to outdress the legend Mike Breen. That's going to be a difficult task. I just got this navy suit from Indochino and I did all my measurements online. I was able to customize the fabric so it's just right for my skin. The process was super fast and I was especially impressed by that pricing. And if you need a suit but don't know where to begin, Indochino tells you what's in style, so you're not guessing when choosing customizations. So think of Pat Riley and level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com and use code OLDMAN to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com with code OLDMAN. Are you, uh, are you surprised at all at the Knicks' success? To this extent, yes. And I've, I've said this all year. Well, since about midseason. I missed by um, as wide a degree as any player I've covered in my career as a broadcaster the ceiling for a player as I have with Jalen Brunson. And, and this is a guy that you know, I watch a lot of Big Five basketball. That's where I played. Nova, I got to their practices and watched them. I saw a ton of games, you know, and Obviously, he was a great, great college player. I thought, could Jalen Brunson be, you know, a starting point guard on a really good team, like coming out? I, I wasn't sure about that. And then you saw him, like, you know, with this what he did in Dallas when he got his opportunity, and he was obviously sensational. But still, you know, he, he becomes a hundred plus million dollar free agent, like the biggest free agent really to change teams practically. And I'm saying what is his ultimate ceiling? Like, is this a 16 to 18 point a game type of point guard, which is a really nice player in the league, but this to be doing this every night where now you expect 25 and 30 and 35 point, you know, games, um, man, has he been impressive? So yes, I am surprised about the overall team success of the Knicks. He is by far the biggest reason. And, you know, I, I just missed it on how good he could be. And I, I'm going to be singing his praises the rest of his career because that guy earns it all because, he, because you know, he went out and took it. The thing with Jalen that I think f- it, it, all, it all sort of factors into what makes him valuable because there's a lot of guards this year that have had all NBA caliber seasons. And there's six spots. And look, it's unlikely Jalen gets all NBA. But it's the efficiency. It's the impact on winning. Because mm-hmm. he's doing this, you know, his 29-game stretch since January 1, where it's 28 a game, 51% from the field, 45% from th- They're 19 and 10 in the right. games that he plays, right? It's, it's the impact on winning. It's the elevation of Julius Randle, right? He's taken away so many... Ball handling response. Julius can be a scorer. And, you know, when he's in isolation and he drives, a kickout guy. Like, Julius can be the best version of him. Yeah. And then the the cultural impact of Jalen. Like, you factor all that in, and it's just like, okay, yeah, maybe his numbers aren't as good as this guy. But, like, I want to be clear. He's having an all-NBA caliber season. Completely agree. And, I, you know, for, for like, Young players, 
You want to look at a guy like Jalen Brunson and figure out, well, how is he getting this done? Because he's he's not a blur. He's not vertical. Right? He's a plays a grounded game. He's not blowing by anybody. He's quicker probably than he looks in his body type. He's quicker than that. Comes down to footwork, strength, IQ, confidence, and then and then the big one. And this is why this is translated to New York. He thrives in big moments. Like I mean, and we should have probably seen that from his career at Villanova. But a lot of people in his boat that were like, you know, it's kind of like a backup guard. Got this opportunity in Dallas, played right in the right time. Now I signed this huge deal, biggest name to like change teams because all the big contracts were retaining guys with their own team. He's like the big name that changed teams was Jalen Brunson, hundred plus million Madison Square Garden expectations. He's like. Bring it all. I'm good with it. And he was from the very beginning of the season. So that final component of not being phased by pressure, you add all that up, and this is what you get in Jalen Brunson. So you don't have to be this like freak athlete, and he's proving that because he just gets where he needs to go. He's always playing at his pace. His footwork's incredible, even with all the pivots and the up-and-unders and all the stuff he does once he gets downhill. Um, and then his physical strength – it definitely sets him apart too. He 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 plays through contact. He's never off balance when he drives and finishes. So you add all that up, and and you get this. And it's uh, like I said earlier. I think he Mitchell and Sabonis are the three guys in their first full year this year with a new team have had by far the biggest impact. And maybe Brunson at the top of the list. Yeah, and all three. And I think Mitchell likely will be All NBA. Sabonis, I think, definitely will be in that third center position. Um, Jalen, by the way, fourth. Fourth in the NBA in clutch points, and he's doing it on 51% uh, from the field in clutch moments. I love that you mentioned his footwork. Yeah. To me, it's so elite. Yeah. It, it, when people talk about changing pace, a lot of times people are talking about changing pace with the basketball. To me, he does such a good job of changing pace with his feet. Yeah. And that's what sets it up. And the fact that he's now become a legitimate 40-plus three-point shooter. That You cannot play off of him. You can't go under ball screens. Like, he will... I've been to a number of Knicks games this year. I've called their games. i watched their games. Like, if you go under a ball, he's going to shoot it. <laughs> if you're in a drop coverage and he comes off a ball screen and you extend your defense out and he's got that little... He's going to shoot it. And he's making them at a 41% clip. That opens up everything yeah. else. Because what he wants to do he wants to use his body and his footwork to get in the paint and shoot floaters. And because he can shoot threes so efficiently now, he can get wherever he wants to go on a basketball court. And I think that for me is probably the biggest area which I underestimated his ability, you know, to get to that level. I, I thought he's going to probably be a 33 to 34% three-point shooter. Like that's that's, you know, what he, what he was going to be based on his stroke and how, you know, how how quick his release was or wasn't, and and you know again not really getting off the ground to get him off when he wants to, that's that all translated to you know an average, mediocre type of guard three point shooter in the NBA, that has has been what's transformed him into this more than anything because he's always been you know he's, you know he's going to be clever and he's gonna he's gonna do his thing with the little mid range and the floaters and getting into the paint and pivoting around in a circle four times and getting guys to jump three times before he shoots it. Like we've seen that getting to this point where you're every time he goes up to shoot a three, you're expecting it to go in. I didn't think, I didn't think I'd ever get there with him real quick before we start talking about uh, the MVP. I, 
how much have you paid attention to Miami this year? Not much at all. I'm going to yeah. be honest with you. Not much. And it's a little... There are always teams that slip through the cracks, JJ. No, 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 but no, I in, know. And who but we here, watch it, I think they have been that for me. Here's the interesting part. Bam's probably had his best season. Tyler Hero's had his best season. You go look at advanced numbers. Jimmy Butler's yeah. had another great yeah, he's season. he's been great. And they just haven't won a lot of games. To me, it's come down to one thing. It's like when you you can simplify the why with one thing, it makes it a lot easier to understand. They can't make threes. Yeah. They can't make threes. Yeah. And you look at their high-volume guys, like outside of Hero, who's at 37%, which, by the way, is, is fine. Yeah. That's fine for a high-volume shooter. I would actually say maybe that's good. Not great. Right? Struess at seven a game is at 33.7. Lowry at almost six a game is at 34.7. Vincent at over five a game, 32.4. Kevin Love, since he got there, five a game. He's at 28%. Oladipo almost five a game at 31%. Like, they're 28th in the league in three-point percentage. And as good as they can be, they were possession away. Mm -hmm. As good as they can be. Just haven't been very good consistently at any point this season. Are they a team, a sleeper team, mm -hmm. to make a run in the Eastern Conference? Probably the only one, my opinion. Who, who else would you even consider in that category? No Toronto, yeah. Atlanta. You know, would you buy into either one of those teams that have had some recent playoff, you know, success? No. And Miami would be the one team. Like that's not necessarily somebody you're going to want to see. Like imagine if you get like a Philly Miami first round matchup. They play close games. Jimmy gets super hyped to play them, right? That's a team. Spolstra is so good in a playoff series at like exposing weaknesses and forcing guys to play their weaknesses. That's a team you wouldn't want to play. But again, it doesn't feel like they've got enough punch to play with those teams ultimately in a seven-game series, but it wouldn't be easy. Like that's that's probably the only team I would say in the East that you would put in that category, unless you considered a Knicks team a sleeper, but I think they've gotten enough attention and they've been a good enough story. They're not a sleeper. But if no, they were I, to win a round or two, yeah, or or even win a round for the Knicks, like that would be a big, big story. I'm not sure anybody's gonna pick them to do that, but they've already been in the conversation. Well, this is where I say that there's a difference in the two conferences. Because I, I really believe there's a number of potential matchups in the first round. Uh, Minnesota even. Yeah. Uh, Lakers, if they're healthy. Right. Like, you could talk me into them potentially beating a team, one of the teams in the, in the, the maybe if they get, end up getting the seven seed, let's say. And depending on who gets the second seed. So I, I think the difference is, to your point, I, by the way, I have Philly as a full-tier one contender, just so we're clear. I think what Embiid and Harden have figured out and what Harden has figured out specifically about what his job is on that team and allowing Joe to be Joe and facilitating and passing and knowing when to be, a, like, mm -hmm. they're tier one to me. Um, then I've got Cleveland and Nick. Like, the Cleveland and Knicks to me are like, eh, they could, they could obviously play each other, win a round, make right. it really hard in the second round. I don't think they can get to the finals. So that's why I say like there's a Miami is the sleeper team in the East. The Western Conference, it's much different. I mm -hmm. think you're 100 percent correct. I think Miami is the only team in the East that could potentially make some noise, put a scare in somebody, cause at least, some disruption, yeah. right? 
from 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 anyone outside that top five. Are they your biggest disappointment of the regular season though? Because it does. I don't know what they've done this year that would make us think they have the the guys who've done it in the past, but they haven't really had any stretch this season where we would really be able to make the argument that they actually could do this. They're on the short list. I'd say Dallas has been pretty disappointing for me. You know, when you you know coming off a a conference final year, and yeah, you lost Brunson, and it was it was a huge loss. Um, they just, I mean, and health played a part, but it, it just in general, it's just been how bad they've been defensively. And I expected them to be in the top four, you know, in the Western Conference, and they're five hundred team as we sit here with ten games to go. So they'd probably be in that mix. I do have a question for you. If it, you know, it's been mind boggling to me this entire time for the last couple of years here. What in the world happened to Duncan Robinson mm. in terms of the way they view him? Okay, because the guy was like, you know, record setting for the franchise with his three point shooting, prolific, had big moments in the postseason. Then they find Struess, and I think they looked at Struess as he's more physical, he can guard better, he slides his feet better. He's not quite on the level of Duncan Robinson as a shooter, but he's pretty good at replicating that. And they just went in that direction to where Duncan, I looked it up today. He's played, and he's been healthy. He's played 80 minutes this calendar year since January 1st. He's played 80 minutes, and they gave him, I think, $18 million a year after you know he had those two or three years in a row in Miami where he made 200 plus threes. And they gave him $18 million a year as like what? As, as like an appreciation for what you've done for us? And now you go have a seat? And he stands up now and like dust flies up in the air. And I'm going, this is the worst three-point shooting team, one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the league. You've got Duncan Robinson over there. You paid him all that money, but they have, like, no faith in him. And now he's got no rhythm. So when he does play, it's not happening for him. I just what wondering if you have an opinion on, like, is that not mystified you a little bit, how this guy's just kind of disappeared after getting all his money? Yeah, I don't think it – I do think there's some guys that get paid and then they, they disappear. Like, I, I – Knowing Duncan, uh, and how how much it just it, the whole thing, uh, his career, his story, the team, uh, his performance night, like it all matters to him. Yeah, it all matters to right. him. I, I think if you look at the way last season started and a prolonged stretch, and since uh, every shooter, you know this, like we we have a stretch, we have a four game stretch, a five five game stretch. I don't know. I mean, I've I've started seasons off three for twenty five. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. from three, and not. But he had really that first prolonged stretch, in like November, December of last year, and basketball is a confidence game, man. Yeah, and when you lose confidence, you lose your edge, especially as a shooter, and when that happens and you can't provide value in other ways like what why are we going to why are we going to play you you know i think that's that's it's that's it that's all it is and i like your point though because at times i've heard we heard it we you and i talked about this in the playoffs last year we're like why is duncan not they can't make a three why is duncan yeah. not playing how hard is it if you're not 
getting consistent oh, vitamins it's, it's, and in a rhythm. No, it's impossible and you're, now. You're, and you're running off DHOs at 16 yep. miles an hour, turning on the fly, trying to get a contested three. Like, I feel it's like hard to create a rhythm that way. It would have almost had to happen in a way that Eric Spolstra, like almost like pre predetermined going into a stretch of games. For the next eight games, I'm playing Duncan Robinson 25 minutes a night. And and he's going to have the green light that he had before, where like literally he, he every had, he time a, he didn't shoot he it. He had a they, quota. Yeah, they would, t- quota. They would take you him out to, of the game. You have to take 10 right, threes a game. Right, and, and he was like, I remember watching him, and that was before he, he got his money as a, as a former shooter, and the league was obviously a lot different when I played in terms of what you considered a good shot. But watching him and thinking to myself, my God, to play that free, like where – Every shot you take is considered a good shot. I couldn't imagine being unleashed that way mentally as an NBA player. And and then you just, you know, kind of go away. So you're right. I think you're right. He doesn't have it now. I was just wondering if, you know, what your thoughts were on a team that's that's in desperate need of exactly what he does. And he did it for you before and you paid him for it. And ever since you paid him, you don't have a use for it anymore. I, it's just, it's been very, very much a head scratcher. Well, it, it is interesting though, because again, he's been in and out of the lineup. He hasn't played consistently. He still takes five threes a game when yeah, he does play. Yeah, yeah, you know, he's shooting thirty two percent. Like it just hasn't. It hasn't. No, he's not leaving any balls in the cage. I mean, he's <laughs> yeah. he's good, good for, for him. him. Yeah, good ex- for him. absolutely. All right, we're recording this on Monday, March twentieth. So by the time this comes out on Thursday or Friday, a lot of things could have changed. I'm not going to hold you to anything. I'm not going to hold you anything you may say in the next 15 minutes. I love it. This is tremendous. Nor should our viewer, nor nor should our listener. Okay? And I hope you would do the same for me. Who's your MVP right now? Finally came to a conclusion on it the other night. And look, we still have, what, 10 games left for these teams? So, you know, I guess I I can be swayed. But as we sit here right now, I'm I'm strong in my opinion. And And I wasn't for a while because I was letting it play out. It's interesting the way that this discussion has changed over the years. It used to be, I didn't really get engaged in this discussion here at, at ESPN as a broadcaster until like March, April. Now we're a month in, who's your MVP? So this discussion has all these ebbs and flows all year and all these different names and it's up and down and at different times at different guys in the lead. So I kind of try to, you know, just wait the best I can to be definitive. Because first I'm going to say this. There is not a wrong answer. This is subjective. Subjective. And numbers go into it and team success. And guess what else goes into it? Personal bias goes into it in terms of who the hell do you like to play? And you got to vote for the award. Who do you like watching play? So that's that's a personal thing, right? It's subjective. There's no wrong answer when you're talking to these top candidates. For me, it's Embiid. And it really, it didn't happen, you know, I'm not a prisoner of the moment. It didn't happen in one moment. But something happened the other night. I was watching the Cleveland game, and he made a play in that game defensively that really just was kind of like this wow moment for me. Like, my goodness, like he's the only guy in the league that could have made that play. And it was a play where Chetty Osmond drove down the left like slot, came hard at the rim, and Bede went all in on the block. I mean, jumped as high as he could, had his fingertips like by the top of the square, with his full chest facing Osmond on the left side of the rim. Osmond goes up and then wraps the ball around his back to Mobley, who's standing right under the rim. A seven-footer, quick off his feet, athletic ability. Embiid hit the ground from the first jump without really finding Mobley, just turned and jumped, spinning his body 180 degrees, jumped 
and caught the ball at the front of the rim as Mobley was trying to dunk it, and it triggered a fast-break layup for James Harden going the other way. And I was like, if I look at the comparison, because I think it's between him and Jokic, they'd be my two favorites. Okay, Obviously, Embiid is the better raw scorer. I mean, he's just a dominant scorer. Jokic, clearly a better offense generator, like facilitates everything and gets his number every night. You know, rebounding, both dominant. So how about that end of the floor, man, and the impact that Embiid has? And I think for me, if you're talking about those two guys, and I think they are the two leaders, that is a differentiating factor for me. They basically have the same number of wins. I know Denver's won in the West, but the way Philly's played for the last two and a half, three months, I think they've got the best record in the league, I believe, over that time. The impact that he has on that end of the floor as the last line of defense and an alterer of what teams can do, that, I think, for me this year is the differentiating factor because of these ridiculous numbers he's putting up to go with it. I have no problem. I'm gonna, we're going to talk about this, but you brought something up that I, I do find very interesting in that this discourse and this conversation starts like five games of the season. Oh, yeah, it's to, crazy. Yeah. It's like, can this guy be in the MVP conversation? So, look, earlier in the – by the way, when – the odds open on DraftKings for uh for MVP. Luca was mm-hmm. had the the best odds. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was last June. Um, early in the season, Tatum had the best. Did odds. Did you make a preseason prediction for MVP? Yeah, I said Steph. <laughs> Did you say Steph? I said Giannis. I said Steph. I said Giannis because I thought I thought Golden State was going to roll. I picked Golden State to repeat yeah. over the Bucks in the finals with Giannis to be the MVP of the league. Those are my preseason yeah. predictions. I picked. I don't remember exactly, but I know I had. I said I thought Golden State. I I said regular season prediction. So I had Golden State being the one seed. I thought they were going to roll, uh, coming off that, and then I, I had Steph win an MVP. Um, you know, do you think Giannis doesn't have a chance right now? No, I don't think. I, I think he has a chance. Yeah, gonna, he has a chance. He's definitely yeah. going to get first place votes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you it know, almost comes down it, to me. It's like who's going to get the most second. One hundred percent. That's what it comes down to. Yeah. Especially in this situation, because you could take any three of the, any of those three guys, right? And there's going to be different orders, right? Everybody's going to have all three on their ballot. All of those guys are going to get votes. So it really comes down to who gets the most second place votes. Unless we're, unless, listen, unless it's one of those years where we're dead wrong and who knows, like, like the consensus is overwhelming for one of these two guys, which it could, it could happen that way. I don't expect it. I think it's going to be very tight, very split with the first place votes. So then the question is going to be, who do you put second? And how many second-place votes does Giannis get that prevents somebody else from getting them that ultimately, when you do the math, hands it to one of these two guys at the top? I just had this revelation. I really did. Because I'm, I'm, no, I'm serious. I was thinking about this. Part of the conversation is just these, these changing odds. I mean, there was a time for shit, like 33 games, where it was like Kevin Durant. Oh, may, definitely. May win MVP. Definitely. They were 25 and 8 over a 33 game stretch. Tatum had a long uh, stretch where it looked stretch. like him. I mean, Jokic, Jokic on December 1st was at tw- plus 2,500. By February 1st, in two months, he was the odds on favorite at minus 380, right? Now we're six weeks later. Joel Embiid is the odds on favorite. Tommy, next year, we're making a pledge. <laughs> no, we are. We're not going to have an MVP conversation on this podcast. Until March first. March first, I think is right. We're gonna wait till March first. That sounds like a that sounds like a good day. I think that's healthy. And if ESPN tries to make me engage in this, I'm gonna abstain. 
You know what the problem is, but this is part of the part of the thing with this discussion. I think is games played. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one hundred percent the reason Jokic won in twenty one. That was the seventy two game season. Jokic played seventy two games. Joel played fifty one. Right? They they were their teams were two games apart uh, in terms of the win loss column. Uh, Phillies was be- had a better record, and Joel when he was on the floor or on the court for the games he did play, winning percentage was better than Jokic's winning percentage. Didn't play enough games. And I think that has to get factored into this. Yeah. Like the NBA is talking about having a minimum games played requirement for end of season awards. And maybe the individual awards, the number's a little different from all NBA. I I think it should be probably. I think there's, but I do think the requirement for do you think it should be what seventy or do you think sixty five? What, I think what 60, would that number 65 be? Sixty five is realistic. Okay, sixty five ish. And I, I think it's sixty for all NBA. Is Embiid getting you. to sixty five this year? Giannis has played in fifty six of seventy one games. So fifty six plus. What's he got left? He's got eleven games left. So he oh, could so get he'll to get 60, there if he plays. Yeah, right around Embiid's there. Embiid's got to play in eight more. He's okay. got twelve left. Um, Jokic has played in sixty four of seventy two. I think that matters. I don't think that's the only thing. Agreed. I'm not. Completely. I agree with you. Look, right now, if I had a vote, it would be Joel. It would be Joel. Two weeks ago, before Denver went on this two two and five stretch, before they lost four games in a row, before their defense completely deteriorated, because they actually had a decent defense for about two and a half months. Yeah. yeah. I had Jokic. Yeah, I had Jokic. I did too. There was a stretch even when Milwaukee's on that win streak where I'm like, all right, if Giannis... Keeps playing, and then he had his wrist injury, missed some games. So, like, it changes day to day, week to week. Definitely, it changes day to day, week to week. But as of right now, I got yeah, Joel. It's fine. It's amazing. Jo- Joel was not an All Star starter. Yeah, which I thought well, was kind of dumb at the time. Har- Harden and Brunson weren't in the All Star game. Both yeah. of those guys have legit cases to make All NBA, and Harden probably will. Yeah, you know what's funny is I thought Joel was a little bit demoralized at the end of the last season with not getting it. And so you wonder like, you know, what, what kind of impact does that have on a guy coming into to the, to the next year? And then this year, most of the year, his name was not really in that conversation with Tatum and Giannis and Jokic, right? There was those three guys and then be just kind of there doing his thing every night. When you watch him play now, man, does he smell it. He wants it. He can taste it. The city wants it for him. It's funny because I I talk about I I go on a weekly uh, hit with all you know Philadelphia All Sports Radio, and we always talk about this. And yeah. I'm just sometimes I'm just like, are you guys more concerned about that or like winning a title? Because it's like this is you, this is a topic every time I come on because they're so desperate to, for him to get it. And I understand that man. They love the guys, but love there. They want him to be rewarded for it. They all obviously think he's the guy. Great, but. At the end of the day, like winning a title should be more important, but the way he's playing right now, you know, part of it is, yeah, they had a chance to catch Boston. They've pretty much done it. So they've got a chance to finish two now, and I think that's part of it. But I also think part of it is the chatter he's hearing every day, and right now he feels like they are 50 yards from the finish of a mile race, and he's got a lead. And he's trying to sprint through the tape. Because I thought last year he might have got run down in the home stretch a little bit. Because I thought he had control of the award at one point and then didn't get it. And he, he got hurt for a little bit of a stretch. That in the second half, he had hurt him. But he got run down. And I, I think he was surprised by that. 
I think he's trying to sprint through the wire. So he's putting out, like, you're going to see some nights here. As long as they still have to win, you're going to see some 40, like, 20 games out of him. Don't they play each other, like, next week? Yeah, he still has at Golden State, at Phoenix, at Denver, and he's got at... They've only played Denver once? Yeah. Oh, really? I I thought he was done with you. I know, he destroyed him at home. He's got a game against Boston and a game against Milwaukee. Like... It, again, if he do, it's his to lose. If he dominates in that stretch, and even those, let's say those five games, they go three and two in those five games because they'll probably win the majority of their other games. Like it's his to lose. I, the one observation I, I want to have on this, because you said something that I think is so important, is how subjective this is. And there's a lot of people that want to look at like a tell-all stat, and I'm an advanced, I'm an advanced stat guy. I'm an analytics guy. Like I believe in. I believe analytics can help inform us. I believe it can help reinforce what we see. I think there's real value. But I don't believe in that when we talk about MVP. I I think there's, in any given year, five to six factors that you're weighing. And then you make a subjective choice. Because the reality is, all three of these guys dominate the game. Mm -hmm. But there's subjectivity in how you perceive their dominance. Definitely. And so if you're valuing individual defense I could see where you'd say ah now Giannis and Joel are more important to me than Jokic if you're valuing some advanced stats I could see where you'd say oh Jokic is the MVP if you're evaluating team win percentage when they're when they're on the floor I could see where Giannis would be the MVP Mm -hmm. right so it all this stuff they were we're fat there's there's never like to me it's why there's only been what two unanimous MVPs yeah. in in the modern NBA. Yeah, should have been three, but only two. Yeah, yeah. Shaq. Yeah, I missed agree it by that. one vote. I agree. I agree. With that. <laughs> so, yeah, you're right. It's, that's why I said in the beginning, there's no wrong answer. Um, Just make your case intelligently and articulate it any way you want, and you're not wrong because there is that final component. Because it's not like we're plugging a bunch of stuff into a computer and it spits out the winner. These are human beings writing a name on a ballot. And there's who knows ultimately what the final thing is that determines it for you. The biggest tournament in college basketball is underway, and the action is just getting started on DraftKings Sportsbook. DraftKings will be featuring parlays and odds boosts all tournament long, so be sure to check the DraftKings Sportsbook app every day to see what they have in store. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and sign up with code JJ. Right now, new customers can bet $5 on any pregame Moneyline bet and get $150 in bonus bets if your team wins. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code JJ. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. I just wanted to share one thing. Um, was screwing around on Second Spectrum earlier today and had a question uh, about Tatum. And I mentioned to the guys on Second Spectrum that we were recording with you. And, they, and I told them we would be talking about the MVP. And they're like, oh. We got this cool stat for you. And right. I thought this was fascinating. All right. So we've had the tracking data since 1314. Okay. So we've had basically roughly 10 seasons of it. Best points per chance post up. Uh, Jokic this year, 1.23 points per chance. Uh, you go down the list Jokic in 1617, Embiid in 1920, Sabonis this year, and LeBron. Geez, I wrote that down funny. I think in 2013. Best action overall. This was fascinating to me. Best action overall over the last 10 years. Uh, Jokic's post up this year. Harden ISO in 1718, mm. number two. Harden ISO in 1819. 
Number five is a hardened ISO in 1920. So he's got a hardened ISO <laughs> is three of the five best actions in the last 10 years. And then number four is a Kevin Herter handoff. <laughs> that's awesome. that, that's legit. I love that's that. That's legit. That's a good legit, tri- dude. trivia question. How great is that's that? That's absolutely mind-blowing, man. <laughs> that is unbelievable. I love that. Does Herter know that? I'm, we should, Somebody we should needs te- to get Herter. Yeah, I just got this information. That like information. Ten minutes before we started. Get a thousand guesses. Uh, on the that is, that that is tremendous. Tim, this has been awesome. We'll yeah, check man. it again with you in the playoffs. Oh, you please. can commit to that. hundred percent. Yeah, right. I'll, be up, I'll be up this way a lot. So, yeah, for sure. All right. We appreciate it, bro. Thanks, man. If you like the old man of the three, you can listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. When you're an American Express Platinum card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that! And even... Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Okay, so if you had a time machine, how far mm-hmm. in time would you need to go back to be a dominant basketball player of that era? <laughs> I need to go to when Bob Cousy was playing. Back I in, would, in the plumber 27 days? 27-year-old Shay would give Bob Cousy the f***ing business. <laughs> He's not guarding me. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondering. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the best. Each week, Shay and I are combing through all of the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling ones, and then handing out six pop culture-themed trophies for six basketball-related activities. Trophies like the Dominic Toretto I Live My Life a Quarter Mile at a Time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. Follow six trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Six Trophies ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.